Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 200, episode 5 of Dirt Daily Zeitgeist, yeah! a production of iHeartRadio. It is the season finale of season 200, mm. and as promised, we did absolutely nothing to recognize <laughs> this incredible achievement by the Daily Zeitgeist team. But shout out to DJ Daniel, shout out to super producers Anna Hosnier, Justin, uh, Dramos, uh, everybody who got Ryan. us here. Nick Ryan, Stumpf, even. Nick Stumpf, yeah, back in the that? day. So this is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. Today's kind of a special format one where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness on a specific subject. Uh, mm-hmm. We did it a couple weeks back, and people seem to really enjoy it. And I feel like this is a subject that you can't even really do a deep dive uh, because we don't know shit about it for the most part. (laughs) So we'll talk about that. But it is Friday, September 3rd, 2021. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. And he was blinded by the zeit. Chugging do like a chug with miles smoking blunts all night. Blinded by the zeit. All right, that's it. That is courtesy of Chauncey Yonders. That's a fun name to say. Mr. Christian. Uh-huh. A little sissy Krish. And I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Miles Gray, a.k.a. Hideo Noho, a.k.a. Smoke Gray Otani, a.k.a. the Lothario of Lancashire. Look out, North Hollywood, because he's here. And just, you know, I'm just adding new culturally yeah. relevant AKs. Lothario of Lancashire. Lancashire, you know, people know. If you don't know Lancashire, yeah, yeah. you're not in North Hollywood. That's true. And is it good to smoke gray? I feel like that would be bad weed. Well, you know, that's the problem of trying to create puns out of, you know, other names. (laughs) So you you could get a little narrow. You smoke that shit that makes your vision go black and white and gray scale. All right. Well, Miles, we are thrilled to be joined by a nationally recognized expert on cybersecurity, privacy, identity theft, fraud, and personal finance, and the host of the podcast, What the Hack. He's the former director of the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs. He's appeared on just all the TV shows, the Today Show, GMA, all the shows, uh, on radio at NPR, ABC News, Bloomberg, and now on our second-rate podcast. Mm. Please welcome the brilliant, the distinguished Adam Levin! Welcome. Jack, you flatter me. Miles, it's great to be with you. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. We're thrilled to have you. Uh, yeah, Adam always- K. Levin, I should have said. Is that, do you, you put the middle niche in there? I do that because there is an author, there is the owner of High Times, there are a series of lawyers, <laughs> and right. then there's that guy with the E at the end of his name that fronts for some small band called Maroon 5 that people know. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. I've heard of that. You, and I, I get great restaurant reservations because of that till I show up and it's like, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're lying. You're like, no, I'm not. You just, uh, you just I, I once, uh, I once was invited on a show in San Francisco many years ago and they said, and now we have uh, Adam Levine from Rune 5. And I went, uh, no, it's Adam Levin from Identity Theft 911. And they went, no, no, come on. You know you're Adam Levine. I said, no, I'm not. And they said, well, how does it feel to have groupies? I said, well, there aren't really too many cyber groupies. Right. And uh, then they said, okay, where are, you, where are you speaking to us from right now? I said, San Francisco. And they said, see, you proved our point because Maroon 5 is appearing tonight in San Francisco. So 
They, wow. Oh, it was a radio show? And they like, so they It was just, a radio show. Wow. And then, so I like freaked out. I hung up. Then I called back because <laughs> right. I wanted to make sure I called the right show. And they went, oh, he's back. You see? That wow. Levine boy, he just messes around with us. Right. Oh, you man. you called back in and sang Moves Like Jagger for them. I, and, I, you know, <laughs> and I do have Moves Like Jagger, but yeah. you know, my son's name is Jagger. So, hey, you know, I'm trying. That's there pretty you cool. Go. I there just like that these hosts so badly needed you to be Adam <laughs> Levine from Maroon Five that nothing, nothing that uh, was presented to them that was the reality. She was like, "Oh man, that's great, man. You sound a little bit different, but what's it like having yeah. groupies? Even though you said you're not Adam Levine, <laughs> get yeah, on. Like, out are here. you are you sure you're not Adam Levine? I mean, maybe you are Adam Levine. It just somehow escaped your consciousness. I don't. Yeah. I have, yeah. Right? They're like, oh, this guy. He's such a joker. This Adam. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Wow. We've got to do that sometime. Just intentionally book the wrong guest and just interview them the entire time as though as though they're the other person. Just strong and wrong. You got to respect yeah. it. All right. Well, Adam, we are going to talk to you about cybersecurity, uh, your area of expertise. We are also in the third act going to bring on super producer Anna Hosnier to do a uh, streaming corner about yeah. uh, White Lotus, now that everybody's had a chance to see it. So uh, we will let you go for that so as not to uh, waste your um, time, uh, I think is the <laughs> word I'm looking for. Um, all right, before we get into our dumb questions, we have a set of dumb questions we always ask our guests at the top, starting off with what is something from your search history? Well, of course, the first thing I'm obligated to tell you is being somebody in cybersecurity, I don't have a search history because okay. I use VPNs. But that being said, ah. were it something from my search history, it would be things about upcoming movies. Okay. Uh, okay. And I was very saddened to learn that they have now moved Top Gun Maverick to next year. I know. As opposed to this year. But they've moved Fishing Impossible up to November. So there's some hope. Right. Oh, I thought they removed it, Mission Impossible, to later in the year. So there's. Well, they did. They did. They. I, I was thinking about they moved Tom Cruise from Oblivion back up to something. So <laughs> right, right, uh, right, right. He's coming in November. Mission Impossible Seven. Not that I'm the PR guy for Mission Impossible Seven, but hey, you're really Are looking you, forward to Top Gun, though. I really was. Yeah. Love that show. It's just. It's one where if you if you watch the cinematography and listen to music, it's like the the planes are actually dancing to the music. Mm. Pretty insane. Okay, yeah, I need to actually I need to watch it like that now. Like, hey, yeah. you, like, yeah. the, you well, like this fighter jet music video, Top Gun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is something you think is overrated? Home cooking after being locked in a house during the pandemic for eighteen months. Yeah, you ready to get out? Ready to get out. Although yeah. we're in Arizona, so we're out. <laughs> right. What's the home cooking situation for you? What are you? Was it sort of the thing that you kind of made the same like six things or three things, and like it's like that, or what? You know, let, give me a glimpse into the into Adam's kitchen. Oh well, Adam's kitchen is basically burnt chicken. <laughs> uh, my my son loves chicken nuggets. He likes mm -hmm. anything chicken related. Not uh, he's one of the few kids in the world that hates cheese, hates chips, doesn't eat bread. So uh, we we have to do things on the healthy side. My wife is a is a fitness competitor, so oh, clearly wow. you can tell I'm not. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait, what's so? What kind of fitness competitions does she do? What's a it's, fitness competitor? It's exactly? bikini fight fitness competition. Oh, oh wow! And as okay. a matter of fact, coming up 
this weekend is she's actually competing in Pittsburgh because she's trying to get her pro card. Okay. Is that a like modeling thing? Is that a fitness as in like they have to do feats of fitness or it's just well, a... they have to actually live through a really difficult fitness training regimen. Right. As well as uh, a very strict kind of diet where there everything is weighed and oh it can God. only be a certain amount of grams of this and that yeah. and it has to be starch and protein and it's yeah. really tough. And she like, we go out to restaurants. She she takes her own meal with her, and it's uh, not oh, easy. Oh wow, that's it's a real commitment. That is tough. I still weigh everything, but it's mostly like pounds of cheese. How many pounds of cheese <laughs> do I want to put on my nachos I, today? I generally tend to weigh myself often. Right. And I've learned that it's like the old thing: insanity is doing the same things every the same way, except expecting a different result. Right. So I'm insane when it comes to that because there is no different result. <laughs> <laughs> what restaurant are you a fan of chain restaurants? Oh, well, I can tell you that my son is obsessed with Panda Express. Okay. Oh, who isn't? You know, the, what, he's nine. Order? And the other the other night we went to Panda Express and his favorite rapper is Post Malone. Okay. And so he Post Malone comes on the radio singing his newest song and Jager is eating his uh, Panda Express in my car. He He pushes the car seat back and he goes, Daddy. Life doesn't get any better than this. Oh, Malone and Panda Express. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> simple, simple. It's the simple things. You yeah. Know? That's it. Oh, man. Yeah, Panda Express, uh, I, I had a run where I think my blood type was orange chicken for yeah. a while. <laughs> yep. Because it, I, there was like a, you know, like when you're a kid, like you'll just, you'll get stuck on eating one thing because you think it's like cool. And like, that's the thing you got to do. Like, that's your identity. And my God, uh, orange chicken was, was that for me for sure. Same thing for him. So you yeah. guys are kindred spirits. Great. It's good yeah. to know that I'm, I'm just right there with the youth of America. <laughs> <laughs> what is something you think is underrated? Now I have to sort of escape back into my cyber background, but underrated is the whole concept of cyber hygiene mm. uh, or let's say password managers are underrated. And the other thing, because I know, you know, you get into very current affairs, disinformation and misinformation is extremely underrated, mm. that it is entirely dangerous. And I mean, the amount of time and effort and vitriol that's because of misinformation and disinformation, whether it be the election or the pandemic or a whole host of other things or Democrats eating babies, these kinds of things. I mean, uh, that's the kind of disinformation that, that is, it's underrated, it's dangerous, people are not paying enough attention to it, and it could it can cause a great deal of harm. Do you think yeah. that we sort of look at it in this way where like, when I hear that, I go, yeah, I, I mean, I know it's bad because I know like, you know, a lot of the lines we're drawing to a lot of societal friction is because of misinformation. But what are sort of the ways you think that we're not actually considering aside from the overt examples of, of how disinformation, misinformation is, is manifesting into. Well, the problem is it's like you have to think of it like a blob and it just kind of sucks everything in. And you have a significant percentage of the population that will buy into it mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And it, it's almost like it's it's a cult culture. Right. Yeah. And uh, it feeds on itself. I mean, if you go back to, I won't name the particular media outlet, but 
you know, their definition of a fact is one host says something and then three other people echo it. And then people continue to echo it. And all of a sudden it bleeds out. It trickles down, as it were, into the community of people who are relatively like-minded. And all of a sudden that's a fact. Right. Right. And I mean, yeah, with with Fox, like a lot of the talking points that they get actually come from like they're basically field tested in the world of talk radio and they see like what is resonating with people and then those like bubble up to. Yes. Yeah, that's it. And and these are the people that say, you know, I can't believe that people follow polls. You have to be a leader, which means you follow, you know the North Star, whatever it is that you believe in, and that's how you lead. And the problem is a lot of these guys are feeding on what their listening audience wants to hear. Mm. And I've noticed some hosts that have gone from radio to podcasting, and you'll notice that their political alignment starts to slide over in order to be appealing to the people that they think will most support whatever they say or do. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's like almost this way where before punditry or people who had opinions and 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 people that were interested in those people, it was like they were actually just speaking their perspective that they felt was their truth. But now you're right. There is so much triangulating where it's like, well, what is what's an audience going to want? You know, like let's I'm not going to consider what I think is ethical or true. It's more about how can I experience success by saying whatever I need to, and then I'm, that just accelerates things even further. And I mean, what what an audience wants wants is essentially like the now now the number one concern for all media, whether it be social media or not, because like you have algorithms that are encouraging engagement over like any sort of evaluation of, you know, inherent value or truth. And so it's all just a society that is like kind of engineered down to the most cellular level to just create engagement and excitement without any kind of recognition or, you know, relationship to, to the truth. Right. Hmm. And, and the truth changes, unfortunately, weekly. So therefore it's not a truth. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Right. You know, what I try to teach my little guy is that a fact is a fact. Right. Mm -hmm. It, and now there can be interpretations of a fact. There can be opinions of that particular fact. But a fact is a fact. There's no such thing as an alternative fact. (laughs) You know, just like when you have people saying, well, the only reason why the government wants us to wear masks is because it wants to control us. Mm -hmm. And that's how they control us. They mandate that we we wear these things. And it's kind of like, no. Right. Well, and then they go, well, it changed. Because the answer is because science has found that things change. Studies have determined that what may have worked at right. one point isn't working now, or it may not have worked, but because of a combination of vaccine and other things, it may be working now. So, and it's so frustrating to be in a place where there, you know, again, spirited debate is a wonderful and healthy thing, but when it it, it disintegrates into name calling and hostility and beating people down for an opinion. That's that's outrageous. And that's that's not kind of the world we want our kids to grow up in. Right. Especially when you can't even debate things where both, you know, both or the parties involved in a debate can't agree on what like firm, what actual solid ground is for them to even debate upon. 
Well, I was in Washington a few, I guess about three years ago, and we were talking about different pieces of legislation that were coming up. And I was speaking to the majority staff of one particular a House committee. And they said, well, we hope to have something coming up on security in the next year or so. I said, yeah, don't, uh, don't rush, guys. And yeah. then, uh, and they said, but, and, and I said, what about privacy? And they said, no, nah, we can't agree to what privacy is, so there won't be anything on privacy. What do you think the divide is like that you see on what people think privacy is, you know, in terms of how one party might observe it and how another might? Well, you know, and again, I am finding a little bit more a unanimity of opinion about privacy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're living in, and, and I know this sounds Orwellian almost, but we're living in a surveillance economy. Forget even the whole issue that Edward Snowden brought up about a surveillance society, is we're living in a surveillance economy where we are surrounded by almost 30 billion Internet of Things devices that are tracking sending information back to manufacturers or sometimes that information is diverted to the bad guys mm -hmm. and uh everything we do to the point where you feel like you're having a conversation with someone about a subject you've never talked about before you haven't even searched it on the internet you think mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it starts popping up in facebook ads so people go my phone is listening to me right and and the issue is Nobody really knows for sure, although I have found several times when all of a sudden Siri goes, hello, and it's like, wait a minute, I didn't call your name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so it's, 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 it's very concerning because you really don't know who is listening or not. I don't know if you remember, I guess it was a couple of years ago where Samsung issued an advisory that you needed to disable the microphone feature of your big screen TV if you didn't want it listening to you. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's like, oops, it's listening. So, right. you know, in that kind of environment, we have a lot of things that are taking note at a granular level of anything and everything we're looking for. Like, remember the story about the father who found out that his child was pregnant because Walmart uh, or, or either Target or Walmart sent to their house flyers on diapers. Right. And he was going, why would they send stuff about diapers to our house? And it was like he found out that she had been searching right. for that. Yeah. And she didn't ask for it to show up, but it right. did. So You're like, oh, based on your based on your activity, we are That's right. presuming you are pregnant. Now, if you really want to mess someone up, use their computer. <laughs> <laughs> and do something like we there was a case that I was involved in a few years ago where two neighbors hated each other. And when one neighbor was out of town, the other neighbor snuck over, sat on his front porch, hacked into his computer, and then had that go to child pornography sites. Wow. And then called the police and the police came and arrested this poor guy. Mm -hmm. And it took him six months to convince the police that he didn't do it. Wasn't right. him. He wasn't searching for that. So, you know, I've I've heard it said that there's like growing pains at the start of every sort of media era, like newspapers had all sorts of, you know, yellow journalism. And then like eventually, like they sort of were able to regulate things. Do, do you see any version of this where the 
like we're able to put the genie back in the bottle with regards to like misinformation in like this new kind of social media, like online media landscape? Well, the danger you have with that is that people will, of course, you will live through the whole cancer culture argument. Right. And, uh, you know, you saw the furor that happened when Trump was taken off all of the social media platforms and claiming that it's censorship. And, uh, and the problem is that when you have these platforms saying, you know, this information needs to be fact-checked or there's something wrong with this, don't believe it, and then you get people screaming about how the big platforms have made a decision as to the particular kinds of political philosophies they will accept or not accept, and they get caught up in the middle of this. And now you have Congress talking about regulating big tech, and, and it should be regulated for a variety of reasons, but the, the, the problem with misinformation and labeling it as misinformation is you still have a significant percentage of the population that refuses to believe that it is misinformation and disinformation, right. even when you can show them concrete proof that it's not true. Right. right. Yeah, that doesn't matter, apparently. And, you know, the perfect example is the election. I mean, you've had 60 courts. You've had every major political figure who has any sense of reason. Even people on, you know, both sides of the aisle have come down and say it's over. Right. And you still have the cyber ninjas in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and now there was an issue brought up with the, if you know, the conference that was held by the Pillow Man in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Where it was all about election uh, disinformation relative to they stole the election or not. Right. And they were passing around examples of software that was being used by the voting machine companies and its voting machine software companies, election system companies, and all of a sudden now, this information about algorithms and other things that were legitimate is now out there, and now they're talking about the fact that they're going to have to replace right. a lot of the software simply because it's been exposed by people who were simply trying to discredit the election results. Right. right. With absolutely no knowledge of how any no, of it works. No knowledge. Too. Yeah. None. Right. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come right back and continue this conversation. And we're back. Uh, and Adam, you mentioned the, the idea of a surveillance economy, that we live in a surveillance economy, which is something we've touched on briefly but could you speak a little bit more about that and like how that kind of I mean, the, the thing that really kind of got me to get my mind around it is that it really robs you of your free will, essentially, like you're no longer an autonomous person if uh, you live in a surveillance economy that it knows this much about you and is like programming your day, basically. Well, and you're 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 a thousand percent right about that. And the other problem is that, you know, people, unfortunately, are all too willing to fling as much information about themselves as possible out there. Right. right. Uh, whether it's on social media or if they say, you know, you can get great deals if you give us all of your contact information, like the loyalty programs. And they, they like feed it by saying, look at how much money you save by having become a member of our loyalty program. You've saved 30%. Mm -hmm. So, and there have been surveys of people where they will say, 
I am really, really concerned about privacy. But then when they go, but would you be willing to give up your privacy for a really great deal? And a greater percentage of people say, sure, I'd like to do that. You know, you know, in one sense, people love customized ads, but in another sense, they don't understand what you're contributing of you in order to put yourself in a position where they will send you customized ads. Right. Right. Can you speak about like what it what do they specifically give up? Because I think privacy like has certain connotations. And I think a lot in a lot of ways, we lack the imagination to like see the negative consequences. Can you like speak about that a little bit? Like just any any instances where it really like was extreme? Oh, sure. There is a a terrific educator in Canada who used to be the uh, information and privacy commissioner for Ontario. Her name is Anne Kavukian. And she came up with the whole concept of privacy by design, which is that products and services are designed at the core where privacy and security are the core of them, Mm -hmm. as opposed to all we want to do is make something work and then we'll figure out privacy and security. For instance, originally electronic health records, it was all about let's make it work as opposed to let's make sure that it's actually private and secure. And Internet of Things devices, for instance, all those devices, whether it's your printer, your computer, your television set, your toaster, your refrigerator, all these things that are connected now to the Internet, the issue is, well, let's make it work so it can feed back information to manufacturers, they can make it better, they can update where they need to. And they don't realize that each one of these things is gathering information. There was something a couple of years ago known as the smart mattress cover, where if you put it on your bed, it can tell when you went to sleep, when you woke up, it would be able to turn on the heating or the air conditioning, depending upon where you were in your sleep cycle. It would even be able to ultimately turn on your coffee pot. Mm. Now, you might say, well, that's great. That's convenient. But the <laughs> I issue am kind is, of saying that. But all of that data in the hands of the wrong person will tell them, are you home? Are you not? Are you sleeping? Are you awake? Mm -hmm. You know, these are the kinds of things. And each of these pieces, in order to create a successful theft of someone's identity, you have to essentially have a mosaic of their lives. And each piece of factual data is a, a tile in that mosaic. So you may not think you're giving up much information when you give them your name, your address, your cell phone number, your email address. But if you think about it now, your cell phone number is more of a personal identifier than even your social security number. I think we have learned that we can trust sleepwear providers after (laughs) Mike Lindell's uh, run. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I got nailed it. Miles, you were going to ask a question. I cut you off. Oh, no, I was just in general, right? I mean, you know, I think like most people, I feel that the biggest threat to me as a, just a person on the internet is identity theft. So that's like I have a very narrow sort of myopic view of what I think the threats are to me. And over the years, I've learned to try and use VPNs more because I realize, like, oh, right, like this, I'm giving up. The, these are the, this is the information companies just want to package and sell and, you know, make a buck off of me passively. But what are the sort of other things that I th- are, most people aren't really, you know, aware of or need to be aware of? Because I think most people would just say, 
oh yeah, I, I, I have, you know, I have my passwords different and things like that. And only now I feel like maybe in the last six months, have I really gotten into two factor authentication for certain things, but can you kind of just give us, you know, for most of us, and I think a lot of our listeners are kind of like looking at our own privacy in this very narrow way. And I think, you know, I'd love to hear sort of what we aren't aware of. Well, I think one of the big things people aren't aware of is if you ask people, are you worried that you're going to get hacked, that you're going to become a victim of identity? The majority of the people will tell you, no, I'm not. Why? Because I'm just me. I look right. in the mirror and I see me. Well, you may see you when you look in the mirror, but when a hacker is looking at you, they see Beyonce and Jay-Z <laughs> or Adam Levine. I mm -hmm. mean, you got what they want. You've got data, you've got personal identifiable information, or the big thing that a lot of people don't really think about is you could be the tributary to a larger river, which means it may not be about you, but it could be about your spouse, your child, where you work, or where you work, not because of the company, but where you work because that company is a service provider or a third-party vendor to where they really want to get to. So, for mm. example, the most iconic breach was Target. And with Target, they didn't go in the front door. What hackers did is they compromised somebody that worked for the HVAC subcontractor of Target. Wow. And use the access of that HVAC subcontractor into the target systems where they then first got point of sale, then they got their databases, and then they moved the data out. So people have to remember that you are part of, a, of an ecosystem, as it were, and it, as you may not be the principal thing they're looking for, but you could be their gateway to where they really want to go. And think about how many people tend, even though they may have different passwords, Sometimes they tend to use the same password in their private life and their work life. Right. And which means if you get compromised outside of work, that could be the way in. Because what they're looking for is credentials. They want to know your user ID and password. And if you think most people's uh, user ID is their email address, right. and most people's passwords are dumb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Password is not a password. And, and then there were people that go, no, 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 I have a really complex password. Well, what they don't realize is that there's a difference between an easily decipherable password, like password, and then a discovered password. And if you think about all of the breaches that have occurred for the past few decades, then the billions of files containing personal identifiable information in it and the fact that how many sites have you seen? If you just go to Have I Been Pawned, you'll see where your email address and passwords have shown up based on breaches. Right. Uh, you'll realize that you could have a difficult password, but if they put it together with your, your uh, user ID, and then they just start brute forcing their way into anything they can think of, and you'll say, well, why would that affect my work? Everybody talks about what they do on LinkedIn. Sure. Right. In fact, not only that, but not only will they know where you work, but LinkedIn makes it so that they can figure out everybody else who works with you at right. work. And that's where you get all of these emails coming to people that have attachments or links they click on. And then all of a sudden, malware is into the company. And then the company is now at risk or ransomware gets in there, which is kind of the new cool hip extremely profitable thing that hackers are using. Right. right. 
I, I do feel like there's something somewhat unprecedented about like what we're facing, right? Because traditionally power dynamics are more controllable by the large, like established powerful entities. Like you have the most guns, you have the most bombs, you control the bomb and gun making equipment, you have the most and richest companies, and that's like unfakeable. But now a skilled hacker in a basement can like bring a massive corporation to their knees because they've you know grown up they're they're like 14 and they've grown up with a more advanced vocabulary and understanding of you know coding than older people who've built their way up to positions of power in the company is there like an alternate model that we're headed for where government and corporations are better better able to like kind of use their size and power to exert control over the field of cybersecurity? Well, it is hoped that they can, certainly with the recent meetings with the president and the and the big tech companies and their commitment to really make billions of dollars available in the fight, you know, we're we're making progress. But the problem is government hasn't done enough, business hasn't done enough, and frankly, we have to admit as consumers, maybe we didn't do enough. And for consumers, we didn't ask for it. We're not trained for it. We didn't, we don't, half the time, we don't even know what the heck to do. Right. But as the CEO of Microsoft said a couple of years ago, we now have a shared responsibility where we're kind of all in this together. And the problem is you can't just limit it even to one country because, you know, it's not like you can put a dome over something and say, okay, well, the U.S. is secure, even though the rest of the world is going crazy. Uh, you have countries out there that, without question, their goal is to put themselves in a position where other countries are either beholden to them or they have access into power grids and critical infrastructure and things like that. So even if you have an agreement, for instance, the U.S. had an agreement with China that there were only going to be specific areas that hacking would be a- allowed to occur. Right. And, you know, after solar winds and the Microsoft hacks and things like that, we we realized that that one didn't work in anymore. And you can't even talk about mutual assured destruction like you could with nuclear war because it's never going to work that way. And the reason is because, again, as you said, as Trump used to say, the 14-year-old sitting in his mother's basement who weighed 400 pounds right. on a mattress could bring down a company. Recently, you saw T-Mobile was hacked by someone who just wanted to see if they could do it and didn't realize their security was so miserable. And and the only way we're going to get better is there has to be a national commitment first here and then international that we are really going to beef up our cybersecurity and it's going to be a serious priority. And it's not just throwing money at it. If you don't create a culture of privacy and security from the boardroom down to the mailroom and back and forth, or if home, you're working from home, from your living room to your home office, if you don't have that kind of mindset, it's never gonna it's never gonna work. Right. This is my dumb question. Can Mr. Robot happen? But is there a version of this <laughs> where like a really wide scale I guess I think for people to get their mind around this, like something that I, I think we've seen a lot of like even even though they're large scale attacks that lose lots of people, lots of money, they're not like these blanket socially kind of destabilizing, debilitating 
attacks, at least not in the United States. Is that still something that's kind of looming out there? And it, like, is that something that's happened to developed countries? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, the most people would argue the most cyber advanced company in the world is Estonia. Because oh, they got right. take they got taken offline. And in fact, we had a conference a few years ago and the former president of Estonia came and spoke. And they have they became a really cyber conscious nation and a cyber dedicated nation after that incident. And you know, arguably everything they do is really top flight cybersecurity related within the country. So it, it almost is going to take that kind of effort because it, it is it is scary. Now, if you want to talk about things that consumers can do to better protect themselves or businesses can do, you know, happy to do that. I don't know how much time that we have for that, but it, it really also has adopting a philosophy, and it really works for everybody, of what I call the three M's because breaches have become the third certainty in life behind death and taxes. That, that's never going to change. So the issue isn't if but when a company's going to get attacked or a consumer is going to suffer a problem or government agencies are going to hit. But it's all about minimizing your risk of exposure, reducing your attackable surface, monitoring so you know as quickly as possible that you have a problem, and then managing the damage, having a plan to manage the damage. Right. And there are, there are things that people can absolutely do at the government level, the corporate level, and the consumer level, but they have to be kind of willing to do it. Right. Is the, is the sort of inaction around modernizing our ability to defend against cybersecurity kind of like just this very American thing that we see where it's like, well, we'll do something when it gets absolutely horrific enough for us to do something, but we can weather these smaller things, even though it's a problem that many people are saying we need to be aware of. Is that kind of just we're on that similar path as it relates to cybersecurity? Because I know, yeah, like the potential for these kinds of wide scale cyber attacks and things seem like they're just over the horizon. But at the same time, like you're saying, like you'll talk to people in D.C. and they're like, yeah, 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 we're going to we'll get to that. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's on the list. Is it just sort of they're just not connected to the real true sense of urgency? I think they are becoming more connected to the true sense of urgency, certainly as insurance rates for cyber liability insurance skyrocket, uh, as insurance companies in some cases are now pulling away from reimbursing companies that have been hit with ransomware. That even to get cyber liability insurance, you you have to go through a living hell in terms of disclosures, and you have to mean it. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, in addition to whole regulatory issue, you have to face the ultimate regulators, the American economy, class action lawsuit attorneys. So, uh, you know, I think the attitudes are changing. Cybersecurity is becoming more a front burner issue. I mean, with the conferences they had in Washington, remember the last administration. They talked a good game about protecting, but at the same point, they got rid of the cyber coordinator in the White House. They, right. There's a lot of things that they said that they were going to do that they didn't do. And then you had people within the government that took their own initiative, like Chris Krebs, who ended up then getting fired after the election because he said it was a fair election and they worked really hard working with the states to do everything they could to make sure that it was going to be a good and fair election. But meanwhile, while everybody was focused on 
let's protect American democracy by making sure we don't have cyber issues with the election, the Russian hackers and the Chinese hackers were focusing on getting into solar winds. And my, so it's like, look there so we can go over here. Mm-hmm. And we have to understand these are very creative, very sophisticated, extremely persistent people who are fighting us. And, you know, we used to, we used to do election security, the kind of company has just sold part of it. And one of the areas we would go into smaller states, rural counties and say, you are facing off against Russia and you have a county that may have one tech guy right, and, and a few people who had a little bit about technology, but, and they're facing off against a incredibly well-resourced state-sponsored hacker whose entire goal is, I'm going to get into their election system. Right. And so, you know, that that is where you get the lack of balance in all of this. And that's why people always have to keep in mind, we have day jobs. We raise a family. We're involved in government. We're going to school. We're involved in philanthropic activities. But to these other guys, we are their day job. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We being like the cybersecurity community, like well, the cyber community, you know, we and we have people who are very focused in the cybersecurity community, and and remember, we are very open as to what we talk about in this country because we have we don't have a national breach notification law, but we have fifty four separate jurisdictions that have their own laws that impact uh, cybersecurity and cybersecurity reporting. What we're doing to China, Russia, Iran, other countries like that, you know, we're not going to hear because they're not going to talk about it for sure. Right. And we're not going to talk about what we're doing to them. But I believe that a lot of what's going on here is going on there. And the U.S. is a great offensive cybersecurity country when it comes to any cybersecurity weaponry, as it were. Whereas on cybersecurity defense, we're not that good yet. Mm. And the same can be said of Russia and China, one of the few countries that is really top flight, both offensive, defensive, is Israel. Mm. Because it has to also do with the concept of the Iron Dome, which they needed because they can't patrol. They don't have enough people to patrol their borders, and they're surrounded by nations that are not necessarily their best friends. So Interesting. Well, Adam, I feel like we could talk to you about this all day, but we definitely should uh, have you back to kind of continue this conversation. It's been very, very fascinating uh, talking to you about it. Yeah. Where can people find you and follow you? Okay, well, uh, adamlevin.com is our our website, which is a sort of destination site for cybersecurity issues and also on the podcast, What the Hack with Adam Levin, which is available anywhere that people uh, get podcasts. And we'd like to have you guys come on too, and we can have some fun with you on that. We oh, yeah. actually we try to take that. a little bit of a lighthearted look yeah. at it's some of show. this. And so, yeah. yeah. Cool. I mean, as someone who was pwned in the Equifax leaks and, uh, <laughs> I, and, and as a T-Mobile customer, I'm constantly like, what? world am i in like nowhere i'm like everything i'm i'm attached to seems to be so vulnerable one thing i i I meant to ask this earlier we just don't have a lot of time but like i feel like the as we've learned more about like all the 
you know, cookies and tracking software and the like uh, surveillance economy. Like the only change I've seen is that now when I go to a website, they like make me agree, like take their cookies. <laughs> They're like, you, the, this site uses cookies. But if I want to use the internet, like I have to agree to it. And it's just like, basically we got like end user agreements in exchange for, you know, our knowledge that we're being fucked. Is there a solution there? Well, first of all, the reason why you see all of these, do you accept or reject cookies, is because of the GDPR, which is the right. privacy law that was passed in the EU that was, for its time, actually, and still the most advanced law. Now you have the California Consumer Protection Law, which is their privacy law. You have a law in Colorado, Virginia, New York that are very, you know, forward-thinking, tough laws. And as a result of that, they're requiring anyone who's gathering data in any form to actually make disclosures so that people are aware that their, their information is, let's say, more exposed than they originally thought. Right. And uh, it's part of a, you know, you should know what information they're asking for you should also have the right, which is you know the goal of some of the more advanced privacy laws, to uh, the right to be forgotten, where you can actually delete information from websites. Right. That's what I want is like an yeah. ability to like toggle like yes or no to cookies. But like the version I seem to see a lot is just well, you can come to this website if you accept that we use cookies. Otherwise, like get out of here. And well, or, or they'll say you can come here, but you know, don't expect when you come back that we're going to know who you are. And so it's going to be, you're going to be like a guest every time you come. Right. And some of them absolutely would prefer you not come unless they can suck every piece of information out of you they can. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that that is at least a change that is trying to at least make people more aware because for so long, again, yeah, I'll do whatever you want as long as you give me what I want. Yeah. Right. Anyways, like I said, we we could talk about this all day. And we will definitely have to have you back. But thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we will be back in a moment with Super Producer Anna Hosnier's Streaming Corner. And we're back. And our it's guest, time. Adam Levin, has been replaced by... Super producer Anna Hosnier! Streaming corner. Streaming corner, assholes. Open your ears. Sorry. Yeah. Hard what? pivot from that very serious conversation about security and privacy. <laughs> and now the hey, pressing man. issues of our time. The way we distract ourselves healthily from that television. TV. Although this, I feel like this show really nailed something about the zeitgeist. Or mm -hmm. just, I guess, America. Oh, White Lotus or yeah, our show? White Lotus. Our oh, show okay, definitely okay. always uh, is always nailing the zeitgeist. That was Hello, Anna Hosnier. Uh, thank Hi. you for joining us. What? Why? Why did we watch White Lotus? What, what, what struck ah, well, you when you first all, said, "Why aren't you watching it?" What was part? Well, okay. First, I have to do my streaming corner theme song. Okay, okay. go go go. And, oh, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 
10. It's a streaming corner. It's a streaming corner. Anna, you didn't watch White Lotus, did you? <laughs> you didn't watch it. You're just. <laughs> Oh, I knew this was going to happen. So I missed all that. I was doing my theme song. Uh, we were just saying that this is your way of uh, delaying because you didn't actually watch White Lotus. Like, but, when we asked you about Godfather 2 and you went, <laughs> I don't think I've ever been more offended than people just speaking through my 45 minute streaming corner intro. <laughs> we were just so confused. We didn't want to get scammed again. No, I was just, um, I was, what is it when you're like pulling from someone? I was pulling my inner Kim Cattrall. Yeah, oh, yeah. right, right. You're channeling. Channeling. You channeling. channeling. There yes. you go. Um, I guess before we get into the just the talk, I'll just, I will read what the description of White Lotus is. So if you haven't seen it, you understand what we're going to be ranting and raving about. They say sure. from Mike White, the creator of HBO's Enlightened, the White Lotus is a sharp social satire following the exploits of various employees and guests at an exclusive Hawaiian resort over the span of one highly transformative week. As darker dynamics emerge with each pressing day, this biting six-episode series gradually reveals the complex truths of the seemingly picture-perfect travelers, cheerful hotel employees, and idyllic locale itself. Okay. There it is. And uh, another interesting fact, Mike White did, in fact, go to high school or college, I forget, with my friend Lori's wife. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, she so told me that the other day. Now we're awesome. cooking with gas. Now we are cooking. He also, <laughs> did he write, he wrote School of Rock. He's had enlightened. a very... Enlightened with Laura Dern? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but also School of Rock. He's Okay, he's... stop bringing up School of Rock every so, five minutes. Anyways, I want to bring up Libre. School of Rock. But interesting kind of varied career. But this is, I don't know, very kind of keenly... Just uh, sharply observed about the 1%, I guess, and, uh, and their relationship to themselves and their world and their, their leisure, their leisure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was, how do we get into this? What do we, what do we? Well, I mean, what, yeah. Should I just say, so like, I know there's been a lot of think pieces on it and all that, but you know, I'm I'm not really one that thinks too hard. So I just thought it was just like a fun, dark comedy Mm -hmm. that just like kind of, you know, showed that rich white people are just like vapid idiot losers. And that's just kind of like funny to me. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a simple (laughs) woman. Like, I'm really simple. Like, if you're like, look at this rich white woman like she doesn't get that like white men are over i'm like (laughs) (laughs) it's a mess so dumb so like that's all it really takes for me yeah well i think because a lot of people i felt like were mad because they were expecting this show to have some kind of really biting sort of commentary on what it was and i get that maybe you thought because it was like adjacent to something really interesting because throughout this show like there is this juxtaposition of like understanding like what life is like for the people of Hawaii, like the the relationship that it has to the mainland and like just how like sort of the caste system that even annexation has created in that sense. But there's also like there's just, yeah, this dark comedy aspect about it, which just sort of makes it palatable. And I in the beginning, I thought maybe this was going to be a broader commentary on something like that. 
And in the end, it just was really just sort of this very more narrowly focused dark comedy. So I didn't mind that it didn't have that because I also it was kind of one, a very American thing where like the show almost was able to like observe an issue or like a controversy, but not quite have a reckoning with it. So it was just right. sort of like, damn, that's fucking wild, huh? This shit <laughs> sort of like yeah. what the vibe was of the show rather than like, this is why we need to really seriously talk about like what it means to have annexed the kingdom of Hawaii. Oh, right. What, okay. You know, like all these other things, like what it means for the, these power dynamics among all these other people. But really, it was just a mess. What it means to place. occupy Hawaii. Uh, yeah, I know. And and uh, the kind of the great part about it is that like it just. I kind of liked it's like you didn't really try and I'd rather you just didn't try like you created humor <laughs> in the fact that like these people were really shitty and you're pointing it out but like they didn't really make that much of an effort and it's like I'd rather them not make an effort than make like a half-assed effort at something you know what I mean right and fall flat trying to be yeah. like deep with it but I feel like the commentary was all there I like the it def definitely didn't end in a satisfying way but the way it ended was that the people who you've kind of just been disgusted by the whole time because they are just myopically just obsessed with their own privilege and like preserving the illusion that they deserve like everything and like fighting anybody who's in the service in service positions like they just get away with it and don't learn their lesson and that's just like that. Right, but, that is how it works. Yeah. But didn't that all feel like just in the writing, like very surface level? Like there were a lot of things that they just touched on that they very quickly, very like it was just like <laughs> and then they like, you know, moved on. Like, I, I feel like, yeah, you, you know, they'd be like, this guy hates the manager or whatever. Jake Lacey's character. Oh, hates, Shane uh, hates Armand. Yeah, yeah Shane right. hates Armand. And it's like, okay, but we're not really going to explain or like explore further like what the fuck is wrong with Shane and like why, you know, like other than him being like, look, I was just born into this. Okay, like what am I supposed to do? And it's like, yeah, surface level, that's who he is. And that's all these people right. are. They're all surface level people. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that is maybe that is the observation. So like just to give people an idea, like there's like this tension, there's uh, this character Armand, who's like the hotel manager. Then there's a couple of Nicole and Mark, which is played by Connie Britton and Steve Zahn, who's like this wealthy couple who have brought their kids and one of their kids' friends with them to just kind of like have one of those rich people vacations. Mm. And then the other the other storyline involves Tanya, which is Jennifer Coolidge's character, who's like mourning the loss of her mother and is there to spread ashes alongside this newlywed couple of Shane and Rachel, where this journalist has like married rich and is kind of having this existential dilemma of like what that means for her. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I think that there's something where when they're on vacation, they are left with too much time to think about like just themselves and how awful they are. So they like do things like create the issue with Armand that, that Jake has or Connie Britton, who's like supposed to be a Sheryl Sandberg type character is like at one point, like moving furniture around the hotel room, like just like doing these things, like creating these tasks and these problems to just like focus on to like continue this like sort of endless like competition and like, urge to prove something that like i feel like deep down they know they can't prove which is that they deserve any of this shit mm. what's mm. um i i mm. i want to say that this mm. the one of the best mm -hmm. things about this show were like some of just the individual performances 
Yes. And I don't know. I just want to maybe go around and we can talk about some of our favorite people from the show. I remember when I wasn't watching yet and Anna was and you're like, dude, Jennifer Coolidge mm. is fucking crushing this whole fucking show. And Tour that's when force. I was like, I'm watching because I'm such a Jennifer Coolidge fan. And yeah, Tanya's character was. Oh, we're called cool dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, where you at? <laughs> uh, where are the cool dogs at? But yeah, like, honestly, her performance was like fantastic. And like her sort of storyline with Belinda and uh, Natasha Rothwell's character was yeah. just like this fucking strange journey of like white saviordom and guilt and yeah. like also people trying to act like they were being authentic by offering or not m- offering money. It was a it was a lot. It was a lot. Right. Yeah. I, you know, Jennifer Coolidge, I mean, truly like a legendary actor who like comedic actor who never really, I think, like, sh- I feel like she gets you know, pigeonholed a lot in what she has been offered in the past. And it was like really nice to see her like playing this, uh, like just showing that she has like this wild range where she can play like this, like what is she? She calls herself a alcoholic. What is she? she calls <laughs> yeah. herself like an alcoholic psychopath just, or something. Yeah, yeah. Like she's like under like, all the layers. You're just going to find an alcoholic <laughs> psychopath. And you're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, <Right>. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like that level of just like madness. You're like, wow, she's kind of, and the thing is, she's nailing it. Like her character, every person she interacts with, I immediately feel bad for them. <laughs> and that's <laughs> like, like oh, that's no, how you know she's nailing it. Yeah. She just walks up like, right. are you having a good time? <laughs> and you're like, no. <laughs> Get away. <laughs> she's trapping you. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. good. She reminded me of the character in uh, Shadows, the the energy vampire. Yeah. Um, like oh, she's right, right, just right. like yeah. came in and would destroy the life force <laughs> of everyone except the dying guy who she ultimately ends up with. Right. Uh, I do want to add this one thing. Those characters of Paula and Olivia, like the Gen Z college yeah, girls. Nailed it. My dad said he it, like they made him feel so uncomfortable that he couldn't get past the first episode because he was getting like Zoomer anxiety. He's like, yeah. oh, man, they're like, they're just going to fucking read your ass. And like, you don't know what to do. And he was like, get, he was feeling that off the screen. He's like, yeah, couldn't really get past that first. Yeah, <laughs> they nailed the cruelness that Gen Z can bring. Yeah. In their critiques. And you're like, yeah. oh, my. Just like them reading at the po- the look that they both give you at the same time. And you're like, no, 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 no. Don't look at me. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> these characters are like almost like, you know, they have like the cutting commentary that like a five year old would where they'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, you're bald. And you're like, oh, OK, <laughs> thank you, young child. But they're just like. You're like a empty, like lame wannabe wife. Like they have like this expanded yeah. vocabulary and uh, know a lot more like psychological terminology. So like it's like right. the same kind of observation, but it just cuts you in half. Yeah. Um, just, but also they're just like disdain for things too. I think was really that well line captured. where they're like, "Do you guys meet on Raya?" Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh damn! Oh, oh. Wow. Okay. Is uh, that who you and are? She's just like, mm. oh. No, <laughs> yeah. they're just like, damn, they just come for you immediately. The reading is like the the books they're reading are yeah, like these like, like Nietzsche high and, like Nietzsche and like and Freud. Freud. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like okay, uh, <laughs> nobody wants nobody actually reads uh, that. But um, and then Jake Lacey, the like bro character who's like inherited a bunch of money and like seems to have like the most violent 
conflict with like Armand. just well just with every everything yeah. about himself and like he's always reading Malcolm Gladwell yeah yeah <laughs> blink and he's never blink, yeah yeah and never making any progress in it it's always like <laughs> at the same place yeah. I thought it was he so captures good. like guy who says he's gonna read on a trip energy. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I'm a, dude, I'm bringing the book here. I'm bringing the book there. I'm bring, I brought it to bed. No, I didn't read it. Right. But I was about to, but you know, vacation, dude. Reading feels and I got to say, Molly Shannon comes in. I mean, Kitty. Molly Shannon is honestly like every, every role she plays immediately is be- like, she just progresses in a way where I'm like, she's so fucking funny. She just comes in as yeah. the mom who's just like, you know, like. You're pretty, you know, like that wedding. I blacked out. You're like, yeah. what are you? I don't remember like, it just, at all. You know, she keeps <laughs> saying that. It's like, what are you saying? People say it's lovely. I don't remember that at all. But it was <laughs> like, great, right? Nothing, right? Yeah, I feel <laughs> no. like her and I. I feel like the character Jake, the mom, Molly Shannon, and the two Gen Z girls were like the ones that like stuck out to me as like the most. I don't know. Like I hadn't seen them on camera like in a thing before like nailed oh, right. to that, that degree like sure. yeah. like that yeah. archetype because they're yeah there's like a lot of pain in them like the like right that is and the way they deal with it is like very pathetic and like just completely right. like transferring like their anger about one thing to another thing and they just really like nailed it in a way that felt realistic and yet like so just obvious and also, mm-hmm. Steve Zahn. I forgot about Steve Zahn yes, until Steve I saw him again. And I was like, oh, wait, Steve Zahn is actually hilarious. His whole, like, meltdown through the series of, like, he finds out his dad died of AIDS. And and he's like, I just... <laughs> just well, first, he thinks he has testicular cancer. Then he finds out his dad died of AIDS because he was, you know, bisexual or, or gay. Full, I don't even know. It's not really explain and then then he's like starts to be like he starts melting down because at one point he had an affair and decides he wants to be open with his son and his son is really not accepting he's just like okay cool dad like stop telling me about this (laughs) so i got your mom that fifty thousand dollar bracelet yeah they cheated on her they're so like his character and then just like that scene at the dinner where they're like, be nicer to your brother. You know, it's tough for young white guys. And then, like, Paula, they're like, well, you know, the daughter is like, you've never even asked Paula a question. And he's like, well, Paula right. doesn't know anything about me. And she's like, well, I know about your balls, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you mean? You've been walking then, around lamenting that. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, fa- ask me a question, Paula. And she says, what do you stand for? Oh, my God. His character just like. Huh. <laughs> like what do i stand for because through all that like emotional turmoil he still like lacks the depth needed to analyze any of it right, like, right. he can't do it it's just right oh uh, i thought his character was like perfect just like dad he's yeah. just like kind of checked out is yeah. so self-involved with his own crap it's kind of nice to see like zon he's like you can see that he can there's a set like whatever this next phase is, is him playing this kind of weird middle-aged guy like yeah because that angst when he was younger like sure was funny but i feel like it really suits him now like as he's gotten older and like you know that he now looks like he i don't know it just feels like more spot on and then also like molly shannon too it's just really yeah. dope to just see like you're like fuck dude molly shannon has like always been super talented but like now she's getting like 
great roles to really, you know, yeah. spread her wings in. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was a great role. There's one more moment with Steve's on the moment he gets the call from his uncle and he's like, well, how did my dad die of AIDS? And he's like, he was sleeping around with men. That face he makes. I cried. Just his, yeah. I think his facial expressions alone throughout the series are just like complete confusion. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> like what? He, yeah, he embodied the like circuits frying in a computer, but yeah. somehow made that a facial expression. And then the face he's making when he's just sitting like this the next day, where it's with his hand, with his face in his hand, and his daughter's being like, "That's really homophobic for you to be this upset about it." <laughs> <You're> <laughs> just like, what if Grandpa speak. was like a power bottom? And yeah. it's just like, it's a can't process any of the information. I mean, I was so- dying. Mike White, the creator and writer of the show's dad, was Reverend Dr. James Melville White, a former speechwriter oh. and ghostwriter for the religious right figures such as Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson. Oh, shit. His father came out as gay in 1994. So mm-hmm. that's oh. a kind of lived in experience. Right. That's right. cool. And are interesting more. Yeah. And then the other character I just want to like Murray Bartlett as Armand is like one of the most realistic depiction of like a relapse just of being high and like uninhabited and or uninhibited. And just like that performance is fucking incredible. Yeah. That especially that last episode when like he's like, fuck it, baby. It's the send off. Yeah. 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 It's. Yeah, that I mean, his whole it's also like you really felt for his character, too, because like, you know, like he's he's trying to keep his shit together. He's trying to stay clean. And he's also like in the midst of like the most chaotic week of his career is like managing a hotel with like unruly guests, finding bags of drugs and not knowing what to do and like his own demons. It's like, yeah, Yeah. it's funny because he provided a lot of comedic relief, but also like super like you said, like this very realistic portrayal of uh, of someone just like struggling with their own addiction, too. Yeah. Yeah. I also like that the people around him were kind of like, OK, Armand, <laughs> no <laughs> yeah, one was right. really that concerned that this guy was so off the deep end. Like right. you open your door and your boss is eating ass like that's a problem. But yeah. everyone was just like, you know what? Not my business. And if yeah, you haven't yeah. seen the show, <laughs> it's yeah, you'll. You'll be surprised, but it's, I think it's worth checking out for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. We should probably put a spoiler alert at the he- beginning of this because right. this is... No, I think this is... Spoiler fine. alert. Spoiler alert. Oh, spoiler alert. Yeah. Circa <laughs> 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Is... All you can eat buffet. Oh. <laughs> Dylan. Love that. I actually really like Dylan. He doesn't yeah. give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I can have any shift I want. <laughs> You're like, dude, have more like... <laughs> Right. And then I was kind of like, yo, this is so gross. And then I'm like, well, like, this is this is this dark comedy. Shit. Yeah. It's like, finally, let's party. There is a scene last episode. That's the grossest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. With well, Armand. I mean, that has to be real. They have to have like shown actual like that. that right. You can't yeah. fake that. Or you it would know, cost man. a lot of money to fake that. Or you just put know. it in a post. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You think that was digitized? Oh, I don't think so, God, man. That I, makes it worse. I re- I, re- I ran <laughs> that back a number that. of times and just like watched it and frame by frame. And I'm pretty sure oh, that really? was you real. did your own yeah, case yeah. studies of yeah. you yourself <laughs> trying to replicate the shot. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And, yeah, Sarah's uh, like, what are you doing in the bathroom? You're like, nothing. <laughs> they got everything Get right out! about the clop. Where's yeah. my suitcase? <laughs> <laughs> I got a new one coming in the mail. Don't worry about it. 
Anna, uh, as always, such pleasure uh, having you and your streaming corner on. Where can people find you and follow you? Well, hold on. I have to do my outro song for streaming. Oh, boy. <laughs> just joking. Could you add like another 40 on That's the end of streaming mm. corner. Do, da, da, de, da, do, do. Thank there you. Um, yeah, I can hit the horn section from Spodio yeah. Dopalicious. Thank you. I also sampled that. Uh, yeah, okay. So I think for the next Dreming mm-hmm. I would love to um, recommend, which we've also kind of already recommended, but like maybe hopefully by the time we do it again, the show will be fully out. But Reservation right. Dogs. Yeah, yeah, we got to talk about that. We got to yeah. talk about Reservation Dogs. And I don't want you guys to watch this, but I did watch that show Clickbait on Netflix. And uh, not good. Yeah. And that's my thoughts. I don't want you guys to watch it, but I did watch it. So got it. Cool. <laughs> Where can people uh, find you and follow you? I'm at Anna Hosnan on Twitter. And is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying? Did you see that Paul Schrader? What's his name? Schrader, Paul I Schaefer? think I said Schaefer got yeah. kicked out of a. No, it's Paul Schrader, not Schaefer. Oh. Schrader, Schrader, the yeah, filmmaker, the he got kicked out of a bunch of poker zooms because he just keeps saying like really wild shit to the women, like just Jesus. so inappropriate. And then he did a news article, or he like did an interview about it that was like, I, I mean, cancel culture, am I right? You can't tell a woman to fuck another woman in a Zoom poker call. And I and said, then, I would. It was a great friend of mine, S. G. Goodman. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The and then Paul it. Dano, who was running one of them, kicked his ass out. And I'm like, well, okay, Paul Dano. Yeah, there you go. Hold the line. Married to Zoe Kazan, star of Clickbait. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> All right. I like both of them a lot. Very much. Mm-hmm. Miles, where can people find you? What's the tweet you've been enjoying? Twitter, Instagram, at Miles of Gray. Also, for the 90-day shit, go to 420 Day Fiance with Sophia Alexandra and I. A tweet that I am liking is... From at Tawanda Ghana, T-A-W-A-N-D-A-G-O-N-A, tweeted, I'm going to say Candyman five times while my homie says Beetlejuice three times, and we're going to make him fight. <laughs> it felt uh, really great. And then last one is from at Zero Suit Camus, C-A-M-U-S. It says, my son asked me if he was going to die someday. I told him no, because honestly, I'm not really in the mood. I hope I did the right thing. <laughs> Uh, parenting. Dave King tweeted, is it true that the Alicia Keys song No One is about who out pizzas the hut? And Brendan O'Connor tweeted, if anyone else is worried about the rats, don't worry. I looked it up and they can swim for three days without rest. So that's wow. reassuring. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song we think you'll enjoy. Miles, what's the song? It's, uh, we're going to do another one from one of my favorite new rappers, the Korean rapper Park Hee Jin. And this track is called What You Doing Later? And yo, I love her flow. She's like, her like low energy delivery is fantastic. And the beats fucking knock. So take 
what you doing later into this weekend and ask your friends what you doing later. There you go. The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to do it for us this morning. We're back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to you all then. Bye. 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 Bye.